You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Delight to have um, Naomi speaking this morning. Just want to say a couple of things. I, I missed it out in the bit I mentioned a moment ago around we, we run a pantry. Naomi's going to speak about it a little bit more. But part of that is we want to give everybody an opportunity, whether you've come for one week or you've been here for a while, to be part of serving some of the needs of the people in the city. And I'm delighted. Uh, Naomi carries a lot of that. She oversees a number of our uh, compassion ministries and our reach into serving the city. We'll share about them. But I just want to affirm her as a phenomenal person, one of our trustees, and somebody who carries so much of the vision and values of, of who we are and who we're becoming. So let's, let's just pray for her just for a moment before she shares. Father God, I thank you for Naomi. Thank you for her sacrifice and commitment to ultimately lay it all before you. Lord, I thank you for what that brings to us. But I pray this morning that our hearts, our minds are open to what you want to say to us through her. So open our ears, open our minds to be receptive and responsive to the nudges and the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And we bless her for all that she is and all that she carries. Amen. Amen, thank you. Um, This morning we're going to um, explore the theme of preparation and um, being poised and ready to enter into all that God has for us. We'll take a look at what times of preparation could look like, particularly for David as he took on Goliath, how we prepare, what preparation is for. In 1 Peter 1 it says, Prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Christ Jesus is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But, as, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. We'll take a deep dive into a few uh, stories and characters that we can glean some preparedness tips from. And firstly, it's David and Goliath. So even if someone has never picked up a Bible in their life, they might have heard the account of David and Goliath. I recently read about how we can sometimes miss the point of the story and learn some helpful lessons to keep hold of what God might be preparing in us now, for now, and to use for the future when battling giants. The giant in this account is a man, Goliath, but you could apply it to mean a whole host of things in our lives. Um, You could probably name some oppression, fear, anxiety. We can be battling against disappointment, confusion, pain, disease, loss, health challenges, to name a few. And in 1 Samuel, we read that a lowly shepherd boy won miraculously against a towering giant against all the odds with just a slingshot and a stone. Even the phrase David and Goliath has come to mean improbable victory, someone overcoming and battling against all the odds in a fluke win against an undefeatable giant that they were destined to fail against. What we could read instead of improbable victory is someone who used years of preparation, practicing and honing his skill, having the courage to redraw the lines of the battle, defy expectations and exploit his, greatest, his enemy's greatest strength as his biggest weakness. So let's head into the battle scene in 1 Samuel 17. We have the fledgling kingdom of Israel in a face-off against the Philistine army. The Philistines were battle-tested, dangerous and sworn enemies of the Israelites. With a valley between them, the armies were at a standoff. Finally, the Philistines had had enough. They sent their greatest warrior into the valley to resolve the deadlock. 
Goliath was at least six foot nine, wearing full body armor with weapons, and shouted, Choose a man, come down and fight me. If you kill me, we'll be your slaves. But if I kill your man, you'll be ours. No one dared to move in the Israelite camp, but David, a shepherd boy, dropping off lunch to his older brothers, volunteered to take him on. Goliath was demanding single combat. This was a good way to limit the loss of life in a battle. Have your strongest go up against their strongest and have them battle it out to the bitter end instead of the bloodshed of entire armies. Goliath was expecting someone to battle him on his own terms to fight in the way that he was used to fighting, so he had prepared accordingly. He was adorned with a tunic with overlapping bronze fish-like scales. He was kitted out with the best armor, a heavy metal helmet and three weapons, all optimized for close combat, a javelin, a sword and a spear. A spear released by Goliath's strong arm would have been capable of piercing any bronze shield and armor. So you can see why no one wanted to walk into the valley to go up against Goliath. What happened next went down in history. David reckons he can take him on, which is a bit mad. He tries on the king's armor, but it's too heavy, too big, and he's not used to it. Instead, he uses five small stones in a slingshot. He fires them at Goliath on the battlefield. Goliath goes down, David chops off his head, and the Philistine army flee. There's a lot we can glean about doing preparation well through David's account. Firstly, how God uses preparation done in private. God used years of potentially, of hidden, potentially sometimes boring, lonely work for David as a shepherd to bring about this moment. In chapter 17, we read, But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it came to me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. When David was in the fields looking after sheep, on his own, he persevered. He did his job well, even though no one was watching, because he couldn't afford to get distracted. There were dangers that he needed to look out for. Lions and bears would attack, sheep would get lost, but he had a responsibility to do the thing in front of him well, even if it felt mundane. I think you'd need years of practice, honing a skill of fending off lions and bears from a totally vulnerable herd of sheep to be up against a bigger predator, potentially, and think, I've been here before. If I keep to the same principles, I can floor him like I've done before. Have you ever thought that the battle, the giant that you're battling looks a bit different? You're in a different circumstance. But what you've walked through well, what the Lord has shown you about your previous challenges might feel really different, but essentially it's the same principles. And for a bit of historical context, in warfare there were three types of warriors. Firstly, you had the cavalry. These were armed men on horseback or in chariots, cavalry are able to move really quickly across the battlefield. Secondly, you had heavy infantry, these were the boots on the ground, foot soldiers wearing armor and carrying swords and shields. And the third, projectile warriors, what we might understand as artillery or slingers. They would have a leather pouch um, attached by 
two, um, on two sides by a long strand of rope, and they would put a rock, a stone, or a lead ball into the pouch, swing it around in increasingly wider and faster circles, and then one, release one end of the rope, hurling the rock forward. This took an incredible amount of skill and practice. Private preparation led David to confidently rewrite the battlefield rules. David knew who he was and who he wasn't. He was a projectile warrior. And if he chose unwisely at that moment to try his hand against Goliath at one-to-one combat, bowing to the terms the enemy demanded, the story might have ended differently. Goliath was heavy infantry. He was ready for close combat. The king, trying to give David his armor, also only considered close combat. Being watchful of the advice we give each other is key. Often when we are encouraging or praying for one another, we have to be on guard against sizing up the giant and feeling inadequate too. Let our faith arise for how God might like to move. David was also likely younger than 18 years old. How can we serve one another and particularly our children? I love what Frankie just said. With love and advice that isn't limited to our imagination of how God might want to work through our children in a battle to overcome a giant. David has no intention of playing by the rules of the battle in front of him. He was a slinger. And when he tells King Saul that he's killed lions and bears as a shepherd, it wasn't a subtle brag, but backing up his intention that he was prepared to fight Goliath in the same way that he had already done. He had a track record. Verse 48, as David moved closer to attack, as Goliath moved closer to attack, David ran out to meet him. He is able to run towards Goliath. Without the heavy armor, he has speed and maneuverability. Without carrying the weapons, he's able to pull out a a stone and use his slingshot. Reaching into his shepherd bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. David took down the giant by recognizing it wasn't as unbeatable as it seemed. Goliath's point of vulnerability totally exposed him. There would probably have been better, more expert slingers in the Israelite army, maybe better than David, but their knees were probably knocking too hard for them to take a minute, slow down, and size up the giant for what it was. There was a study done by a ballistics expert which concluded that a typical-sized stone hurled at a distance of 35 metres would have hit Goliath bang in the forehead at a speed of 34 metres a second, enough to do some very serious damage and certainly end his life. What are the tools you've practised and honed in the face of crises that are easily pulled out in the face of a giant that either paralyses you into inaction like the Israelite army or mobilises you into action? God is in the business of continually preparing us. What is he developing in you, sharpening in you? What areas of your character are on the table in the preparation zone? What are you easily able to fling against a giant? In some quick, desperate moments of coming up against things, the best I can sometimes muster is just the name of Jesus. I think that's one of our stones. And as we mature, this sense gets better and better as the insight we have into breaking the power of a challenge, oppression, or a giant gets honed. We can't second guess how God will use us to take down giants. A while ago, I had a few months where I would wake up in the morning and just feel such a deep, heavy sense of loneliness. Physically, I knew I have 
excellent friends, church and a family, but it was such a clear trick of the enemy that in my first groggy thoughts, I would get a deep sense of loneliness. After sharing with some pals and praying with about it, I began just trying to say Jesus as my first words every morning and then saying scripture over myself. After a little while, one morning, I woke myself up singing a worship song. I felt like such a Christian. (laughs) It was amazing. (laughs) Um, And after that, the, the power of that feeling, that dark heaviness just totally broke. And I've never felt that intensity again. I had to fling a few stones consistently, but the giant fell. For the next giant, it will take a bit more, and it does, but the Lord teaches us and shows us we need each other to help us gather those stones, promises, words, life, words of life and power. Point two, perseverance in the mundane. As a shepherd, it wasn't the most thrilling job. David was either fighting bears or boredom in the fields day after day. But when we persevere with the monotonous and the mundane, with our eyes open to the opportunities that the Lord gives us to grow, mature, and practice the things of the kingdom, we grow and our faith is strengthened for all the Lord can do. When we don't take those moments, we could easily become bitter about the situation we're in and not let it grow us. David did eventually become king, and if you know anything of his story, you'll know he was far from perfect, but led Israel into some mad military victories. In 2 Samuel, there's a section called A List of David's Victories in War, and it doesn't stop at Goliath. It's a lot, and eventually it just reads, everywhere David went, the Lord helped him win battles. There would have been grace for him had he turned up at the battlefield and just went straight home to his father and his sheep, but he took Goliath on, and it taught him so much of the faithfulness of God, which he was able to draw on again and again. Three, know the power in the presence of God. We have to be people of the presence of God to know the power of his spirit. Before defeating Goliath, David's dad heard that the priest, Samuel, was on his way to secretly anoint one of his sons as the next king. Even his dad doesn't consider calling David in from the fields to be assessed by Samuel. But he had all of his other brothers lined up. When Samuel arrived at David's home, he wasn't impressed with the line of brothers. He had called David in from the fields and anointed him with oil, secretly marking him out to be the next king. As he was anointed, it reads, From that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. David became accustomed to the power in the presence of God. He knew this from the moment Samuel anointed him. In the quiet, lonely places with no one watching, he honed his craft and his skills, preparing his heart and his faith. He likely sat and played his harp and wrote songs as he did his job. One of the most precious um, psalms is Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. If you sit in it, just six verses, you can unpack so much of the heart of the Father. David knew what it was to be close to God from his experience of being at work. He turned his day job into something holy. He knew what it was to care and look after sheep, find the lost ones, lead them home, lead them to places to rest, protect them and walk beside them. How can we know the presence and the power of God daily in our lives, our jobs, parenting, responsibilities and tasks so closely that you could write a worship song based on it that lives through generations? This is what it looks like to be holy in all you do. Paul spoke last week about the power of worship. Get in that space as often as you can. Let that give you more stones in your pocket. 
like the power of Scripture, let it give you promises, affirmations, and a, and a space where the power of God can soak in. David was highly familiar with the closeness of God and the power of his presence. He made shepherding holy by looking at it through God's lens and giving it back to him as an offering. We have a depth and intimacy when we know the power of the presence of God as the Holy Spirit meets us and we welcome him in. A fierce giant would have made anyone shake, but he had already slain giants in those quiet, private spaces. We can find comfort that his power is made perfect in our weakness to bring him glory. And David gave glory to God for his victory. It was God who saved him from the lions and the bears. It was in the name of the God of heaven's armies that Goliath was defeated. None of the Israelite army could muster the courage on their own. All their efforts had failed. And when we grasp his power, it becomes less and less about us and about what God can do through us. Verse 47 Everyone assembled here will know the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. Point four, be prepared to be shaped. This is lifelong learning. Preparation doesn't just happen when we were young or um, young or old in your faith. Be moldable. Keep learning. We're to be like children in our need for the presence of God and how he teaches and shapes us. Time, age, and experience can blunt, and success can blunt our hunger for God to use us. And after following Jesus for years without even realizing it, we can switch into cruise control and begin to coast. You could still look like you're doing the right thing, still following Jesus. We can, we can talk a good game, score a few quick goals now and then. But inside, the radical, passionate, give it all fire can flicker and fade. Risks we once might have taken, we might now shy away from. Aspirations we once had, we put to one side. Sacrifices we might once have made, we're now too grown up to consider. And our once focused desire to seek the kingdom becomes distorted and blurred. We can soften, settle and grow comfortable. And in our early years of following Jesus, he can instill in us lessons that we never forget. But God is always training us. If we lean into it, God can speak um, and take us through healthy seasons of being stripped back. In John 15 verse 2, Jesus promised that everyone who bears fruit will be pruned so that they might be even more fruitful. Pruning a tree at the right time in the right way will increase its yield and help it grow more healthily. By removing anything dead, it can also improve the quality of the fruit. Let God grow and shape you, using these preparation times to be used by him. Curate a closeness with the Father that you can trust the Spirit and each other to challenge the things in your life that hold you back. This is a lifelong journey, and it's good to want to be used by Jesus, but our goal should be surrender and not speed. There is such a theme of patience in preparation, point five. In an instant world where we expect our dreams to be fulfilled tomorrow, in doing so, we can miss the value of slow preparation. Joseph's dreams were followed by 13 years of God preparing him in prison. Moses had 40 years preparing in the desert, looking after goats. Even Jesus, who probably could have begun ministry the moment he was born, spent 30 years living in relative obscurity as a carpenter and only three years in public ministry. I don't know about you, but when a recipe says it takes more than 40 minutes to prepare, I'm looking for something else. <laughs> and sometimes they sabotage you, don't they? It's like you get to step three, put some sauce on the meat, and then it's like, lovely, step four, what's step four? Step four is let it marinate overnight. And then you've got, it's like a 24-hour meal. I've got people coming in 20 minutes. It can so easily put us off. 
Most of us are not built to enjoy the slow work of God, but our whole lives he's preparing us, so we should probably settle into it. Six, high and holy expectations. Be aware of expectations that were never meant for you. King Saul's armor was meant to be King Saul's armor. It wasn't made for David. We need to be watchful of comparison because we can sabotage ourselves too. David could have easily looked at his brother's jobs in the army and become discontent thinking it would be way more exciting. Look for areas where you can faithfully grow what God is doing in you and not what others are doing. What fruit is there? Let God shape and prune you. When we compare ourselves to each other, our skills, charisma, status, or income, we reveal that we don't always understand what catches God's eye. We put too much weight onto insecurities about our place and our purpose. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Set expectations for yourself that are from heaven. These will be high and holy. As Paul says, set your hope fully on grace. Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Be holy just as he is holy. In 2 Timothy 1.9, we're reminded again that this isn't about us. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Adopt the practices of heaven and not the crowd around us to be different and set apart. Get around people and environments that will help you do that. Sundays are great. Small groups are great. Serve at events, being around things. Um, here to help, to be able to, to get out and go out and influence your environments. Also be aware of your weaknesses. Know what distracts you from turning these battles into preparation for the next one. Are you able to pull out all of the gold from a recent trial and make it bow to glorify God? Or do you just feel swallowed up? Where can you be strengthened, refined, and able to see what the Lord is up to? Seven, see the enemy for what it is. I love this bit. <clears throat> Carrying over 100 pounds of armor, Goliath looks like a formidable giant. But there are some studies that suggest that he was actually quite unwell. It suggested that he had potentially quite a serious medical condition. I don't love that bit, if you're wondering. <laughs> Just love how God uses it quite a serious medical condition where the body produces too much of the growth hormone which would explain his extraordinary size. One of the common side effects of this is poor eyesight. Goliath was led onto the battlefield by an attendant. Why did he move so slowly? Because the world around him potentially was a blur. He didn't even see that David had changed the rules of the battle until he was up close and even then he couldn't, get quick, he couldn't move quickly enough to get out of the way. He let slip of his vulnerability Come to me, he says, that I may give your flesh to the birds of the heavens and the beasts of the field. He shouts out, come to me. And by that, he's saying, I need you to move closer because I can't locate you otherwise. The giant was not what they thought it was. The same qualities that appear to give the giant its strength are often its greatest source of weakness. David had all that he needed to take him down. When we know the power of his presence and rethink the rules of the battle, with heaven's creativity and imagination and insight, giants are not always what they seem. Shadowy figures cast on a wall can make the smallest creature seem terrifying. When you switch on the light, it's a different story. We can live in the tension of what we see in the natural and what we know in the supernatural of the power and authority that we have through Jesus. We literally get to shine a light on situations, to see them for exactly what they are, ask for discernment to be able to judge situations well. Eight, play by new rules. 
the Israelite army were in a chokehold. They literally had no way out if they were to play on the enemy's terms. Goliath scorned him and said, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? What David had in his hand was a devastating weapon. What people scorned and what Goliath made fun of him for was the very end of his enemy. Our preparation will look a bit upside down because of the nature of the challenges we come across. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our giants might sometimes look like flesh and blood, but we have to look beyond that and not make enemies of each other. Preparation allowed David to read a circumstance from a completely different angle. He redrew the lines of the battle. We are not called to the armor and the weapons that the world offers. Taking offense, hardening our hearts, slander, building walls as our weapons. We're called to wear the armor of God. Ephesians 6, I'm just going to read. Um, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but the rulers, powers, and authorities of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. When all you want to do is fight back on the terms of the enemy demands, look beyond it to the invitation God gives us to stand firm. Have faith, buckle truth around your waist, be righteous, and walk in peace. When the battle lines are redrawn and the real enemy is revealed, you probably want to pay attention to the new armour. Just imagine with me for a moment that you're preparing for an esteemed guest to visit your home for lunch. You would probably have a tidy, remove the piles of clutter, you want to be able to see them. You'd wash up at a base level, we all might agree on that one. Some of you might even do a deep clean, maybe even repaint a scruffy wall. If there were trip hazards, you'd probably want to remove them. You might repair, replace, make a few things new that you've been meaning to do for a while. You might think about the way the room was arranged and make sure that they would be comfortable. If you really wanted to deep dive, you might do your research and present them with things that you know that they'll love. Prepare some food you think they'll enjoy and make a playlist to fit the vibes. You might not count the cost in the same way that you would do before. They're worth it. Out of your love and respect and admiration, you want to welcome them well. Spend time in preparing your home. Fast forward to the following week. They've been and gone. Is your house still in the same condition? Maybe not as tidy. Dust and mess might start to creep back in. Try a year. Is there any physical memory in that space that you've honoured a guest in your home? Even for the most keen initially, the paint um, and pile, the, the scruffy paint and the piles of clutter might have crept back in. This is loosely what John the Baptist was up to. In Isaiah and Malachi, many years before John was born, it was prophesied that someone would come and prepare the way for Jesus. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. In Matthew 3, it says, In those days John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. 
He knew something was coming and the promised Messiah was going to be so good. It was in his bones and he knew that his community wasn't ready and spiritually ready for it. His mandate was to prepare the ground and get people ready. John directed the crowds and that, that gathered, explaining the new way that they can show that their repentance was to be baptised in a river. Repentance is a great place to start in preparing the ground for what God might want to do in our lives. By repenting, we make the path straight for Jesus to move in our lives. I think we need to get a lot more comfortable with repentance, bringing our stuff before God, repenting of unbelief, mess and sin, because we're not waiting for him anymore. He's here. And unlike the esteemed guest, Jesus is here to stay. He's moving in. We need to make space for him and remind ourselves to live like we know it. We can deal with our stuff at the foot of the cross. He's not afraid of it. You can carry on as you are, but it's not going to be the smoothest journey. And you'll keep coming across it like bumps in the road. Repent of the things that you've let hold you back. The first thing that comes to your mind might be it, or you might need to dig a bit deeper. Why do you keep doing the thing that you know you shouldn't do? What does it make you feel that you think you need? Why do you need that feeling? What do you need to replace about what you believe about yourself or about God? When we've put so much in the way and we've made new hoops to climb through, bow to bigger expectations, we can create mountains. It's not a surprise that God could feel distant. When we remove the roadblocks we've put in place or, or get out of the way ourselves, our individualism can sometimes mean we need to get off of the path and let the spirit move in our lives and point back to God. John was asked by the crowd, what should we do to be right with God? John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even the tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more money than you're required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money, don't accuse people falsely, and be content with your pay. John answered with quite radical ways to clear the path, sort out your heart and live it out. Repentance isn't just a prayer of acknowledgement and asking for God's grace to cover you where you've missed the mark. How clear is the path of your life? Can you see ahead to the glory of God that you know what's on his heart? Can you see the people on his heart and see the needs and have an ability to respond? What mountains do you need to flatten to be able to be generous enough to give away? Don't expect that a windfall of cash will make generosity easier. Align your heart and your habits now. Lord, we repent for where we've held on to too much. Teach us to be generous. I love that it's about the condition of your heart and a physical response. But it's also a huge challenge. If you have two shirts, give away 50% of your shirts to someone who doesn't have one shirt. Anyone who has food should do the same. If you have some food, give some away. One easy way, as Paul mentioned, is commit to buying food for people in our city. The pantry we have in 422, um, in the community hub that we run just down the road, um, is always in need of essential items, tins, treats, and lots more. Lean into serving people as you get your stuff. Take one of the pantry bags from the welcome area this morning with a shopping list. If everyone bought in just one tin a week, wow, we'd be in such a different place. Lord, help us to name the mountain that stops us from being content with what we have. We could go on. Lord, help us have integrity to share what we have. Like the soldiers, can you ask the question, what should I do? And if you're not sure, John has kicked us off with some pretty good starters. Start with these or ask God to show you your blind sides. I find it so refreshing that Jesus consistently backs underdogs. 
those who look like they're going to fail, but when we watch their preparation, it all makes sense. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9 reads, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. You just have to be ready to say your next yes to him and get yourself into places where you encounter God's presence and fling the best stone you have at the giants around you. Don't miss worship on a Sunday. Be present. Lap up opportunities to pray and be still with God. I sit regularly with someone and slowly read scripture, like really slowly read a psalm, like really slowly. I've never not been hugely blessed. And I know it sounds mad, but I actually can't do it for myself. My eyes are skipping ahead. I'm going quicker than I think. I can talk quite quickly. I skip through a bit, a bit that's more familiar, like really, really slowly read a passage with a lot of pauses, meditate on it. I've never not felt a stirring and a strengthening from the Lord. And I love you guys, but I can't even do it for you now. It just, I just, just talk too quickly. I can't take pauses. From Jesus' interaction with John at the river being baptized, he then went into the wilderness right before his very intense three years of ministry. He spent 40 days and nights alone. That's from today until the 27th of October. Please don't count that. <laughs> that might be wrong. He took that amount of time to be with his father and prepare for what was ahead. And that's Jesus. How much more do we need to rise our faith? Take slow, long time to be with the Father, to be stretched and filled up for all the works he has for us. Mm. Yeah, let's, let's stand as we pray. Yeah, Father, we, we just want to make space for you, Lord to speak Jesus would you show us what we what we need to repent of Lord would we would we take joy in preparing ourselves as your church would we prepare ourselves like a bride prepares herself Lord to be presented to you Lord would you as you meet us, Lord, would you just come in power, Lord, the power of your presence. We only do this through you. So we'll just stand and stand and wait and see what the Lord might want to do. Just become comfortable with his presence. Some of you might not have been in an environment like this, but don't, let's not rush this moment. Just as Naomi mentioned, not, it's not speed, it's surrender. That's 
pray over us that there'd be a spirit of surrender this morning. Sounds like maybe an odd thing to say, but you can almost actually see that on some of you right now. It's just beginning to rest on you. The Lord's breaking you afresh for a new season of deeper surrender. Just become aware of his presence. Sometimes I think we think we need to do something in this moment. We do something in worship, that's for him, but this is for us. The Lord just wants to meet and bless us and meet with us. Let's just become comfortable with that. just think he's highlighting as well for some of you, there's like some stuff has just felt mundane or it's felt unseen but the Lord rewards obedience and sacrifice and he always sees it's just a highlighting on um comparison as well. I just wonder if the Lord for some of you just wants to break that off for me. It's almost become a stranglehold. I had a sense as well that there's um just if there'll there'll be others. I think sometimes the Lord just wants to stick a finger on certain things. I just felt there was um a couple of uh physical conditions somebody uh, I think there's like a I'm not sure what it is but it's something around your gums in your mouth uh, somebody else it's like your your right collar area and then somebody else just uh, on the right hand side of your back um, about halfway down in the in the middle there this felt you you've been in um, like a relentless pain I don't know what if that's representative of something around that area but I just believe the Lord wanted to put a finger on that and draw attention to to you stepping into a place of seeking physical healing you had the the sense around baptism you might not even really know what that entails and as church we'll put on something to help you understand what that is but that the Lord is prompting you um, to be baptised like physically, water baptism, as a sign of real repentance of your old life and a sign of being made new. I think you'll know if if that's what the Lord is stirring in you. Yeah, we'd love to pray for you. 
Yeah, as it goes, there's an information evening for that on the 2nd of October, and then we will be baptising some people on the 9th of October, so don't don't miss that moment. But what, just while people are standing, I think don't disengage from what the Lord's doing. You can see just the presence of God resting on a number of people. I just encourage you to step into that and seek people to stand alongside you and to pray into it. So whilst we're standing, why don't you just come to the to the front areas just so people know that you would like them to do that. And as, as people do, there's a number of people responding to that. If you're in a small group, would you just come and join with some of those people, pray with some of those people, stand alongside them. It's, it, the danger of these moments is we step into like a spectator moment. I, I think we don't want to do that. We want to individually step into what the Lord is doing and to open ourselves up to the presence of God transforming us. And, and um, have a sensitivity to what the Lord is doing in the room. You can see a number of people who would love you to join them, to stand alongside them and to pray with them. Just, um, you can like sense the, the, the thickness of the presence of God. And um, I, I just want to encourage some of you if, you, if you're in a small group in the life of the church, we say that just because there's an accountability. Look, look around you. I often think in these moments, if someone has their eyes closed, often with their hands out, they're kind of saying, would you, would you be family to me in this moment? Would you join with me? Would you pray with me? Lord, we welcome you. Thanks for listening. To find out more, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description.